0: This is Tracy Spears. Welcome to the Real Life Leadership Podcast. I'm super excited about my guest today, Tom Vincent. And so let's do the normal, tell them a little bit about who you are, and then I'm going to jump into some, some questions. So tell them a little bit about you.
1: Sure. Thanks, Tracy. Um, uh, I run the cybersecurity practice group for Gable Gotwalls. We're a law firm in Tulsa and Oklahoma City primarily, about 100 lawyers, um, and um, I also co-chair our diversity and inclusion committee.
0: Okay. there. So you're an attorney that yes. also has all of these other responsibilities. I love that you are start- starting with your diversity and inclusion, because I know that's a big piece of what we want to talk about today, but mm-hmm. I want to tell everybody how I met you right? So, uh, and I know I'm throwing you a curve here, but the first time I, I, I'm sure maybe we had met before in other circles, but probably the first time I really remember you going and thinking, okay, this is a guy <laughs> I got to know. Um, we were at the Women's Leadership Conference that we held right. last year here in Tulsa. And what do you think? There were 220, 230 women, I believe, that showed up?
1: Well, if I remember your post, it was 200 women plus one. Yeah,
0: Yeah, exactly. But here's what's weird I did not know you were in the audience. And so um, we never said women only, right? We said right. it was a women's leadership mm-hmm. conference. And at some point, as I looked down from uh, you know, the podium, and you kind of had your back to me, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fantastic. And then you, of course, had a little bit of presence in the meeting. <laughs> but tell me, first of all, why did you sign up to even go to that meeting? Well,
1: and this, this uh, may be a longer answer than you're looking for, but let's start about Probably 15 years ago. Okay. Um, I have, before becoming an attorney with Gable, I was at a large financial institution here in town and was a manager for a number of years there. And um, I'll put a, a quick plug in just to say that um, probably m- my first real connection with it was over 18 years ago when I met my wife, mm. who is a very strong. Uh, advocate for this issue. but uh, while I was a manager, um, I found that um, my in interviewing candidates for positions I had, I used what's called behavioral interviewing okay and and I'll talk about it a little bit because we in case we revisit it. Uh, behavioral interviewing is going past what someone volunteers to give you on a resume and instead asks how they would act in a particular situation.
0: Mm, okay.
1: So rather than focus on where they went to school, you may ask, what would you do if this happened? Which I found was often a better predictor of how they would perform for me as a manager. And I found that as I did that, I not only hired better candidates overall, but more often than not, the candidates that I hired were women. Hmm. And so for most of my career, most of the people that I've been fortunate to have worked with me have been women, and I noticed that uh, through some relatively minor changes in in what I did and how I did my job, there wasn't anything earth shattering in what I was doing, but I was able to get not just an outcome that was uh, more representative, shall we say, of, of, uh, or getting better representation for women in the workforce, generally big concept, but for me personally, I got better results, and the company did better
0: for it. Do you think because of the way you interviewed? You think so? You think those, that situationally, women do better in that kind of an interview? What do you think?
1: I, I won't. I wouldn't generalize it okay. to that level. But for me, I found that uh, the the candidates that I interviewed that were women generally did better. Hmm. Um, they gave more thoughtful answers, and. Uh, again, I can just speak from my experience, but again, s- just seeing that in my little piece of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my little role as a, as a manager at a at a bank, seeing how that little change achieved not just uh, D- a di and i result, what we would consider a traditional D&I result, mm-hmm. but also just a better result for the company itself. Um, that's where it first, I guess, came to me that, hey, this is this is something that, that can be done it can be done uh in such a way that uh i can have an impact on it but also it's the the outcome is is objectively
0: beneficial okay so now i'm curious what were some of the behavior what were some of the questions that you asked well give, one of the- give me like a really good one that was was there a funny one was there
1: well i can share with you one that that i've i've used and it and the response i would get sticks out not because it was from a candidate, but it was from someone I worked with. Um, one of the questions that I would often ask, and, and when I do interviews now, it's, I, I often ask it as well. Um, my my job at the time was in compliance and, and not a very popular job internally, <laughs> no. certainly at the yeah. time. It's better now, but at the time it was not. And I remember, you know, my first day on the job and and uh, my mother called and and said, so did someone take you to lunch today? And I had to break it to her that people don't take people don't take <laughs> complaints it just doesn't l- happen <laughs> but uh I was working on these questions for these interviews with so, with a woman I worked with at the time and I said oh yeah one of the questions I'm asking is is um tell me about a time that you had to deliver an unpopular opinion mm. and without missing a beat she said I'm a woman in corporate America my opinion is always unpopular oh wow and I remember thinking at the time Ouch. Yeah. But it, it, that it stuck with me. And over time, as I was interviewing people for jobs after that, and to this day, I realized there's, there's something in that statement that communicates a level of experience and a level of uh, adaptability that doesn't necessarily come across in a resume or isn't highlighted as such. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so that's, again, that's one of the reasons why I use that is because I get that get that out of it, but also I think that it can be used uh, in, if candidates anticipate that as well, and it was something that was used more often, uh, I think you would get better candidates and certainly better responses if people thought about what they did like that.
0: Yeah. So your question though is interesting, and her answer. So I was ready to laugh, and then when you said what her answer was, <laughs> I was like, you know, I would have probably ten years ago, five years ago, even said, oh, that's, you know, that's not true, or you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that I have, as a woman, you know, woman in corporate America, I have always thought, oh no, you know, I don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to give any energy to that, right? I don't want to perpetuate that it's different for us, mm-hmm. you know, it, it should be the same, but I guess now we do know it is definitely different. And the idea that we can talk about that in a way Mm -hmm. to say it is what it is. So um, I don't know. I find that for me, I sit here now still optimistic that in some cases it's not different, but also with this um, knowledge that it really is different. And -hmm. then I guess the question is, you know, what are we going to do differently about that? So when I look at somebody like you and I go, here's what you're doing about it. You're learning everything you can. You're trying to understand and what is the experience for women in leadership roles mm-hmm. you you mentioned your wife who is a you know powerhouse in her own right yeah, so she she's is. this powerful attorney here in Tulsa as well so i'm sure you're getting a lot of lessons about <laughs> this at home but when you sat in that leadership meeting i am curious about the only guy in the room was there anything that you thought oh that totally surprised me or did everything you hear you go yeah I pretty much knew that can you think back was there was there anything that was a standout for you or maybe even anything that you just said yeah that's that's I'm glad we're talking about that
1: well I, I do think that you know the first thing that surprised me and then it didn't surprise me was how many people I knew in the room that were friends of my wife oh <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. which immediately was the Oh, well, you know, my first thought was, oh, well, she ought to know I can't do anything to embarrass her here. And then my next thought was, oh, but she'll know exactly what I did at this at this at this event. <laughs>
0: but she wasn't even there. That's no, what's so interesting no. is you came and she did not come.
1: No, but but uh, the, the thing that and I I wouldn't say necessarily surprised me at first, but it did. It 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 resonated. It's something that, that hit and resonated was this This notion that you brought up, and I think it's something that we don't always appreciate in the DNI space of meeting in the middle mm. um, you know because uh, when you talked about and just to give a, a quick overview of what it was that you talked about, um, talked about different personality types mm-hmm. and how those personality types operate, how they um, How they respond to stress, how they communicate, how they receive communication, but as importantly, if not more importantly, how do those personality types need to connect with other Mm. personality types? And uh, because when it when it comes down to it, when you think about DNI, we're used to specific categories, but it's you can silo and compartmentalize diverse backgrounds, Mm. diverse um, demographics in hundreds of ways. And so you could just as easily say, well, how does a woman executive best communicate with a male executive? But you could just as easily say, how does a young bank employee communicate best with an older Mm. employee? And so that to me that's what still resonates is is the idea that you can You can make less than earth shattering changes to what you do and accomplish something that is not just personally beneficial, but certainly beneficial for the other person. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're an organization, beneficial for the organization as a whole.
0: Most people don't think of it like that, though I think most people think what's what's happening to them, they're they're self-focused. I'm not going to say self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's different than being self-focused, but a lot of people are more concerned about how it's uh, landing on them. Mm -hmm. than it is on how it's landing on the people that they work with. So I love what you're Mm -hmm. talking about because I think that's, to me, the value of those personality temperament trainings that you go through. It's, um, you know, everybody loves to hear about themselves, right, for sure. So it's always fun and everybody goes, oh, this is who I am. But you've missed something dramatically if you walk out of a session like that without – the next step which is what you're talking about how and how does that bump up against the other people that I work with and so I appreciate that you are talking about that because I do think that's a big takeaway and um, was there anything else that day though that uh, you want to talk about for I do have a couple of questions but uh (laughs) but I'm curious about it
1: well just really just one other thing I wanted to say about uh, about that is it's remarkable how adaptable that concept is Mm -hmm. um my wife and I do premarital counseling, and we've used some of those concepts in that. Mm. When you're talking about people in, in, a, in a romantic relationship, not just a work relationship or professional relationship, but how can you anticipate what the other person is saying and understand why they're saying it? And just as importantly, understand how you need to present your case or your point to them so that they will respond to it and understand what it is that you're trying to say.
0: Yeah. it's. I, th- I do think people want to segment that though and say, this is just for my personal life and this is just for my work. Mm-hmm. But there is so there is a lot of crossover to your point. And I think a lot of people try to, you know, uh, not integrate those two things and it shows up as being inauthentic or You know, I get as you know, I get to Mm -hmm. go in a lot of times to organizations and do team building, and usually the things that are people are upset about are not corporate things; they're Mm -hmm. personal things. They're, you know, the way somebody made them feel in a meeting, or somebody didn't Mm -hmm. ask their opinion. They're those things that are just common courtesies, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I love that you showed up, so thank you for that. (laughs) We're having another one, by the way, uh, coming up. So uh, no pressure there. No, Uh, no. Well, well,
1: (laughs) you know, that's that's good to know because I'll I, I. I, uh, in fact, was the only person from Gable that was able to go. So oh. I'll make sure and make it a point to, there you go. to get other people there.
0: So I also saw you yesterday at a, um, you know, we had, there was a meeting that mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. asked to speak at. And you had a bunch of people from your law firm that were there. And mm-hmm. it was around unconscious bias in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. So you tell me a little bit about this background you've had. How do you end up in a law firm? So let's talk about that. A law mm-hmm. firm with 100 lawyers. And they are making diversity and inclusion a priority. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Is that um, part of a strategic plan, part a strategic initiative? How does that get so much airtime in the middle of America in, in Oklahoma? <laughs> so I'm thrilled, right? Mm-hmm. And I know there are a lot mm-hmm. of people doing a lot of important work here. But I think that would surprise people.
1: Well, again, I think we're, we're fortunate at gable to have a number of really really smart people who care about this issue and come from different backgrounds and have seen how this plays out outside of the concept the traditional concept of a law firm and i think i think excuse me for me well i'll get into to what we're doing and then i'll i'll talk a little bit about about what i'm doing but you know as a firm it's, it's a little different in the professional services firm context than it is in a corporate context. Is in a corporation because the the what the corporation is, is selling or the services that they're providing are generally more consistent or uniform, I guess is a better term. Um, you've got uh, a, a factory that makes widgets and all of those widgets are intended to be the same or, oh, or within mm-hmm. a set – a set assortment, and everyone is selling those widgets, right? Because in professional services firms, we're really selling ourselves in our particular knowledge and ex- expertise and experience. Everyone goes about it a little bit differently, mm. so it's harder to have that those overarching corporate principles that filter down into the actual interaction with the clients when. In, in some cases, it's, it's not unlike a flea market where everyone has their own little booth and they're selling <laughs> things individually. Yeah. Um, and so what we've tried to do is not just address the traditional D&I elements, um, making sure that at the board level that it's a priority, for example, and communicating that out to our attorneys, but also uh, making changes from the ground up because so much of that client experience is driven by the individual actions of the attorneys, sure. and, and also so much of the interaction at the individual level is between attorneys, shareholders and associates, let's say, mm-hmm. but also shareholders and associates and staff, whether it's the legal assistants, the paralegals, or other people in our firm. So we've made a concerted effort to include everyone mm-hmm. in our d and Nice. Um, And I'll I'll talk a little bit about one of them, and I'd like for you to share your experiences because you were part of it. Okay. Which is one of the things that we started doing is uh, individual meetings with uh, people from diverse backgrounds, such as yourself, Mm -hmm. where we invite someone in and they have lunch with about a dozen of our people, attorneys, staff, uh, paralegals, and just tell their story. And we've had um, four of these events so far. Oh, wow. And they've all been received very well. Um, and the the common element that we've seen that people appreciate is the informality mm-hmm. of it, and the fact that it's not done as a as a seminar or a lecture where they're they're told how to feel, but it's a conversation. Um, and there's more direct engagement, both in terms of understanding the guests' experiences, but also being able to contribute their own
0: mm-hmm.
1: and making themselves part of that D and I um, focus that we have.
0: Well, so you asked my experience in that, and I want to say it, it is the first time, and I've been doing I speak as you know all mm-hmm. over the world and do, do a lot of meetings that somebody said come in without a script, come in and sit down in an intimate setting, bring your wife and let's talk about what your experience Mm -hmm. has been as somebody that grew up, you know, in, in Oklahoma that was, you know, um, gay, all all the things that happened. And Mm -hmm. I, I was super nervous. I will tell you about that. And what I was nervous about was, when you're speaking and delivering content, you know where you're going, right? So you know what you're going to say. <laughs> mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. you know how to avoid things. But I think going into that, um, I was like, okay, well, I mean, you know, you don't want to be too vulnerable mm-hmm. or do you, and, you know, do people really care about this? Are they really here for the free lunch? Like I had a lot of questions mm-hmm, going in mm-hmm. and I know it was your first one as well. I walked out of there though with, oh my gosh, I think the dialogue was so much better than I could have ever hoped. And I felt this um, this curiosity from the people on your in your organization that they genuinely had some questions. Some people also, though, were having an experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where you know, wow, maybe somebody from their own family. I remember somebody telling their story, and mm-hmm. I I don't know. It was uh, so. The answer to your question is I loved it. I thought it was great. I I'm. Um, so impressed that a law firm is going to the trouble to even set that mm-hmm. up. So I think the fireside chat is alive and well, I mm-hmm. know, for uh, for your your company. But I think a lot of companies should do that, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, when when you know somebody or you have that more intimate exchange, it puts a face on some of the discrimination that happens, that it's mm-hmm. a lot harder when you hear someone's story to still go, oh, that is it really that big of a deal? And then you go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, that's an experience I've never had, and that's something that I can learn from. But I'm m- most curious about this piece. So I, have, I do have clients that call me now and say, "Listen, we have to have a DNI policy. We have to we have to pretend <laughs> that's not their word. That's fine. <laughs> that we're really dialed into diversity and inclusion because we have clients that are asking it for asking mm-hmm. us for that. Mm-hmm. And so I've taken those gigs. I'm always grateful for it. But, but with your group, that was not the case at all, right? It was, mm-hmm. um, no, 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 we're genuinely trying to learn, mm-hmm. you know, how we could be better and how we could be more compassionate. Do you feel like there is, um, there's been a lot of progress in this short amount of time since you've been in this role, or what do you see?
1: I think that the, and I, I, again, I think, you know, that's, that is one of the, the cautions that, that when I got really involved in DNI at our firm that, that one of the, the people I work with uh, on the committee told me is she said, um, progress is a tricky thing mm. because y- you can't measure progress in this space like you can in other arenas. Um, but I think the, the progress that we've had overall is when we talk about it, it's seen as part of the firm it's it's no longer uh, not that not that i'd say it ever was but i know in some some um some organizations i've worked with uh when you mention it there's the the first reaction is an eye roll Mm -hmm. or uh, oh yeah that's that person's job and there's one person that has the title (laughs) oh
0: that's so true and
1: that's and that's what they do yeah um which is also why make, make
0: sure we're inclusive <laughs> that's right
1: that's right and that's and and, and i want to make sure and mention this before i forget and if we get a chance to talk about it later on is that's one of the reasons why um one of the things i love about this space is it's a lot like my primary practice area which is cybersecurity, mm. and I'll, there is a story there but okay but, um, but you know it's something that that is i think now more than ever something that when we talk about it at the firm and we talk about um, the way that people get involved in it, more and more people see it as not just something that's there and something that they have to experience, Mm -hmm. but something that they are able to participate in. And we've seen that even go so far as... You know Some of the issues that we talk about, um, I was just having a conversation this morning with one of my uh, uh, partners, and she, we were, she and I were, were, were talking about how some of the issues that we're seeing or that had come up that in the past may have been considered women's issues, let's mm. say, are more and more now becoming generational issues. Mm. When you look at, and you talked about this some in your presentation yesterday about how millennials are seeing more and more importance of the substance of their work mm-hmm. and more and more more and more importance of the time they spend away from work
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and since I've been involved in this space, I've talked to a number of male attorneys at our firm who have said that's important to me too, and that's something that but know, they didn't
0: have the permission to actually try to do something about it. But the millennials, I, I love the millennials, as you know, mm-hmm. and I, as I said mm-hmm. yesterday, mm-hmm. because they're forcing us into those conversations of work-life balance. They're forcing us to, you know, give them immediate feedback. Those things that we, you mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I'm seeing the gray in your beard a little bit, <laughs> I, or of us, I know I'm older yeah. than you are, but that we, that's how we were raised, right? Mm-hmm. We were raised and it didn't matter what your personal experience was, that you work for the Corporation, you do what you're supposed. But the millennials are saying, "No, wait a minute. What about me? What about who I am and how that fits in?" So, Mm -hmm. to to your point, Mm -hmm. you you believe that. So, there's gender plays a role, generations plays a role, right? So, it's it's kind of all getting into more of a mixed pool of who's actually raising their hand for some of those issues.
1: That's right, and and I think you know one of the things uh, that that um, certainly I've seen at Gable is how comfortable people are in talking about those perspectives, including, uh, people that have been, for example, in, um, government service, people that are coming from coming into the firm, uh, not through our traditional associate program, like myself, who was never an associate Hmm. and was never in private practice until I came to Gable. And so understanding, you know, what, the particular circumstances uh, are present in those individuals, and how we can tailor certain things that we do to allow them a better chance to succeed.
0: So you said something interesting. So you were a banker? Would you go to law school while you're a banker? No, I went
1: how to law... That... I, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, how does... I I, no, I went to law school, um, graduated in 1994, Okay. Uh, came back here, and... Uh, it, really, at the time, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the job that, that I was able to get back here. The market wasn't terribly good, and so I ended up going to work for a bank in Oklahoma City, transferred up here in 97, um, and then worked for another bank for about 16 years before going to work for a smaller bank, and met one of my law partners there. And when he came back to Gable after he left, that bank I had already left, and I ended up coming back with them.
0: Interesting. Hmm, that's kind of a roundabout way to be <laughs> end up where you are.
1: It is, but you know, one of the things that that uh, I tell associates, uh, I also do some networking and business development training with them, is um, is having had to to you know reinvent my career over the years. Is your your first job is not your only job. And it's probably not your last shot so um, the more that certainly from our from uh, uh, the uh, associate or the people that i worked with and the associates we have now uh, you know there are things when when they take on when associates take on projects for example that they don't like you know because that is one of the things that i think you get you get out of law school and you're used to an environment where you may have more control over what it is that you do and then you go to work and you realize and this is common of most occupations that you know what I don't have as much control over my career as right. I did before but i think the and that's one of the things that some of the concerns about these issues that we've talked about with millennials is there millennials that i work with are are really demanding that there is some uh, substance in what they're doing and so they want to they want to feel that substance in what they're doing in as as a new attorney what is it that i'm doing why mm-hmm. is it important and i think you know one of the things i found is that uh, bringing and working with associates is uh being able to provide that substance whether it's you know getting them in front of clients and get, so they can see that reinforcement of yes these people you know you're helping you may think you're you're working for a company but you're helping this person yeah. that's right across from you yeah
0: yeah and and i think not having that connection is what you where you get burnout you right that that serves as fuel doesn't mm-hmm. it when you go and and this is who it affected so that's right. when you see people that are so compassionate and helping you know you're like how can you continue to do that and they always say that because i know who i know who's benefiting from what i'm you know actually Doing. So, what? so you've added the E. So it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, as in your title. I, I noticed, um, and I love that, and I know that that's you know more the norm now. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you think is a uh, like or some like the biggest mix, misconception about what you do about diversity, equity, and inclusion? What would you say?
1: Well, I think that for me, I wouldn't say necessarily it's the biggest, but I one of the biggest is this notion that it's difficult for for someone to do Mm. it's it requires a lot of effort that it requires um, it it, of necessity requires some significant sacrifice Um, and i think especially you know the the example i gave before but but nowadays for example um, the time that I spend doing this and the the value that that it contributes, not just to the firm but also to the people that are there and all of the all of my committee members and my co-chair on the committee, uh, you know that's really the reason we do it. Is we mm-hmm. don't see it as a sacrifice. We see it as as this is something that we can do to make things better for the firm. And with respect to that that uh, notion of, of it being difficult. Uh, I'll just share this with you. Um, my friend Dixie Agostino, who sure. had uh, a switch gear here. Mm-hmm. She, um, she and I put a presentation together that we've, we've been able to put on for some law students and for at least one company Nice, uh, talking about how companies can make it easy mm. to do that. Um, law firms for example we're used to going out and talking to clients and prospects just as you are in your in your in your uh efforts going out meeting with a prospect figuring out how they want to be successful what does success mean to them and how to get there and how best for you to communicate it just like we were talking about before you know what kind of personality type are they how Mm to what lands with them best and you know we 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 joke in our presentation, or, or I, I say joke, we, we laugh about it, but it's, it's a serious question. If we're willing to do that for clients that are going to pay us money, why wouldn't you do it for the people that you work with <laughs> right. as well? And, and so really what we, what we talk about is taking those techniques and turning them inward so that uh, you can, um, both with existing hires That you've got you know identify what's success for your people and how can you get there and with people that you're looking at bringing on with prospects uh, you know new associates or new hires that you're looking at talking to them and using whether it's behavioral interviewing or something else getting past those those preconceived notions of commonality you know oh they you know I'm sorry I'm gonna use something from your presentation yesterday oh they went to the same school I did
0: Mm
1: -hmm. mm-hmm that's great. You know, my my freshman class in college, there were probably three thousand people. Mm. I I didn't have anything in common with a lot of them except maybe you know the the four hundred square feet in my dorm. Mm. <laughs> so, I think that the 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 uh, you know let me back up. So the approach that we've we've talked about is to step back from that and. And try to have in common with them what you would want to have in common with them, which is that work ethic, that commitment to success, that interest in in helping other people or intellectual curiosity, whatever that is, that is why you're a lawyer in my case. Why am I here at Gable? What is it that, that I find important? And let's see if this person finds that important as well. So that instead of... Sorry, I'm,
0: I'm, no. I'm just saying there. that's hard. That's hard to that is hard to interview for. It's hard to permeate that into a culture. But what you're talking about is very exciting. The idea that anybody's even thinking about it on that level, right? That it's not you just come in and do your job. That it's what is your experience? Um, and when you're talking about those things, what you're also talking about is people. That are not just punching a clock, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're making a difference. They're, your your turnover, my guess is your turnover has to be lower than other law firms. If this is what you're, you know, kind of.
1: Oh, I, we we have our share of attrition. I I couldn't say I couldn't say how it compares to some of the other firms in town. But you know, I like to think that that as we are going through this, that we are identifying some of these issues up front, and then through some of the other things that we've been doing. Um, able to anticipate that. And certainly, if people are going to leave if they're going to leave and, and, and what we can do best as a firm and then you know, as a subset of that, what we as the D&I committee can do is to do our best to make sure that that we address the needs that we can to make it uh, an inclusive environment to recognize what it is that why someone came to the firm and and what it is about them that uh, is what it is about their life that's important, hmm. that they are that they've chosen to share it with us.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the stats, you know, 83% of the people leave because they don't feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. I think it's 79% of the people leave because they um, uh, lacked a good recognition program. And that, by the way, doesn't mean plaques and trophies, right? That means that somebody, you know, says, Hey, I appreciate you. Hey, you're, Mm -hmm. you're, we're better because you walked in the door. Um, so the fact that you're trying to get that right, there's, there's probably people listening though that don't have a DEI, um, you know, person dedicated to keeping, you know, watch on some of those things. So what advice would you give an organization that they're listening and they go, you know, we need to have somebody dedicated to that. Is that a, is that a full-time position? Is it somebody that can take that on and say, you know what, let me champion that. And, and what would that look like? Is that a monthly luncheon? Is that a good place to start? Not somebody that's you know, as far down the road as mm-hmm, you all are, mm-hmm, but somebody mm-hmm. that's like, you know, we can do better. What, what would you suggest?
1: You know, I think it's always a good idea to have, if not a person, a resource, in our case, it's the committee, to, to, to say this is this is an important enough issue for us that we have a resource dedicated to it. Now, what that person looks like or what that committee looks like, I think, uh, is would vary according to the company, but I think there, again, some of the basic steps would be um, providing an environment where those issues can be raised, mm-hmm. um, having discussions about things that may not that where people are uncomfortable, um, because you're going to have some some instances where. People, the things that bother people are not going to be known because there is a part of their personal life that they haven't brought to work.
0: Yeah. Well, it's scary, right? It's scary if I do and uh, I raise my hand and then everyone knows now that I've got an issue with something. Mm-hmm do I become a target? And Mm -hmm. I can tell you for me personally, I know that was the case, you know, so you're in this, you're, you're in this, um, really tough space to say, I want to be more authentic. I want to have a voice, Mm -hmm. but I'm too fearful that just the idea is going to create that target. And so, What you're talking about is to have um, maybe a resource group where people can at least know that they're safe. But I don't think that happens immediately. Right. Just like I would assume Mm -hmm. that it's over time that people are like, oh, wait a minute. Tom's really he's really this is this is a big deal for him. This is this is not going away. Mm -hmm. And so over time, my guess is it probably gets easier. Is that true? i more accepted. I'd like
1: to think it gets easier. And I and I. I appreciate you mentioning me. I, I I'd like to think that it's easier for people to come to me to talk about that sort of stuff. I do agree that it is a it's a struggle to get people comfortable mm. with it, um, and I think that it. And one of the things I think that we can do in the d in the DNI space is not just um, not just focus on the primary areas, but if there is someone that has an issue with. Um, something that is done at the company that does impact them, and it may not fall into what we consider a traditional DNI category, mm-hmm. is to have the ability for that person to express that just as anyone else would, um, and because that that may be a situation where, um, through again through some small efforts that can be addressed, and you can get that person more comfortable with their environment, sure. more comfortable with what's going on. And, um, and, and then also, I think, for so you asked about for a smaller organization that may not have this, look at what resources are available around you. Um, if you don't have, for example, if you've got a new hire that, um, let's say there's not enough individuals in your company to have an affinity group for, to support that right. individual, you know, this is where the, the resource can help is connect that person with affinity groups in the community mm-hmm. so that it's, it's clear that, yes, you, you recognize the issue and you're helping them, providing them resources, even if you can't do so internally. Yeah,
0: that's a good idea. I like that. Um, what, so what are you looking forward to 2020? So we're, you know, at the beginning of the year at the mm-hmm. taping of this podcast um, around this space. What are you most excited about?
1: Well, for me, I think it's the really, and I think it's just because a lot of the efforts that we've made have been incrementally positive. I think it's, it's just every day there's something new good that happens. There's some, some new opportunity that we've gotten. We've got uh, some more support that we receive from the board for a oh. new issue or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, more resources that were we're able to take advantage of, and really, I think the more that, you know, for me, um, I see this as not just a, an opportunity to act, but it's an opportunity to learn. Mm. And that's, for me, I learn things all the time. I may not be able to put them in place right now, but anything that can help me Think about what I say or what I do beforehand. Um, you know, as you were talking about yesterday, it's it's what triggers our filter mm. is what feeds into our implicit biases. Yep. And so, the more that I can keep my filter active and bring those sorts of issues up there, and and challenge those biases that I have, and get rid of the the um, um, it's whatever the equivalent of muscle memory—something mm-hmm. you do automatically. The more I can reorient that, I think is—is is, uh, it's interesting to see what kind of power we have over
0: ourselves. Listen, that, so that session, um, there's the, for the people listening in, there's a, a portion where we talk about microaggressions and we talk about some of the statements that we've heard, we, were, you know, we grew up with, mm-hmm. some of the things that people say, and um, they end up being a microaggression, which is an unintentional discrimination. Uh, but everybody in that room, I think, was having an experience like, oh my gosh, not only have I heard that, I've probably said it before, mm-hmm. and some of them are minor, some of them not so much, but uh, I know there was a lot of laughter, like, and then people were like, hey, wait a minute, you can't say a red-headed stepchild anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't, like some of those things that we just, you know, accepted as it's part of our vernacular that just, that, that can't be anymore. Did you have, I know your table, as I looked over, you guys were having a big uh, discussion we, as well. We, we
1: did talk about it, and, and I, as I shared with you previously, and one of the things we talked about is the fact that I have a son who's adopted, who's Native American, and, and uh, having, being sensitive to people using some of the common expressions, um, like Indian giver, Mm -hmm. uh, and having to raise the, raise the flag with them and say, that's, hey, that's not, you know, that's not appropriate. And here's why. Yeah. And in many cases, they just don't even realize it. Yeah. You know, And, and another one that I know I've used before that I am trying to watch now. Uh, in part because of the discussion yesterday, is uh, using the expression, oh, that's a first world problem. Mm -hmm. Because more and more we see that, um, globally speaking, when you have attitudes like that, that are more global or or you know regionally based, mm-hmm. they filter down to the people, to the individuals within those areas, yes, and, they you, and they they can result in biases against the individual and not just where they're from. Yeah,
0: and it's isn't it interesting though? It can be a comment, right? It can be it can be something someone says that all of a sudden perpetuates this. I'm pushing down as well. The only thing that comes to mind, but this um, oppression, I guess, is probably the right word. So. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would challenge everybody listening in, though, to think about some of those things that you've said or that you've heard that really are uh, discriminating, Mm -hmm. because I don't think anybody in that room or anybody listening in is going to be able to escape that. I don't think anyone is is above that they have done it or or, you know, have heard it or worse Mm -hmm. yet they've been in a meeting where somebody's done it and they haven't called them on it, right? They haven't said, mm-hmm. hey, wait a minute, that's not okay, right? Right. So my guess is that you, um, having a Native American son, and, um, you know, I'm Native American, so I am the trifecta on this. Uh, <laughs> so, but I love that you're on watch for that. Um, but has it ever? have you ever had to say to somebody, hey, hey, you know what, that's not okay? Or have you been fortunate that, you know, that hasn't actually happened?
1: No, I, I did have an incident like that where... Uh, And to use the expression that I mentioned where I was I was at work and and picking up something from a colleague that I'd loaned them. And they jokingly said, here you go, Indian giver. Oh, and that was just a few days after we'd adopted our son. And and I just said, you know, not the best thing to say to someone with an adopted Native American child.
0: Perfect.
1: And they again, it was one of those. I think they they had to think about it. Yeah. But to your point, oh, they've a never lot of said that again.
0: You know, they didn't. <laughs> they they didn't. Yeah.
1: And and they, it's something that becomes so ingrained. It's it's a, a to your you know the point you made yesterday about biases or they're they're things that we just do without thinking. It's it's an unconscious part of us that we have we have shaped that way. And mm-hmm. I think that is a manifestation of that. Is what is just the expressions that we use again, so we don't have to think about oh well you know that's. That's, uh, um, you know, to use the the expression that they used Indian giver. Oh, well, well, that's someone that that gave me something and then took it back. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just a way to to shorthand that without. And again, I don't know that this person realized that, but they did after we talked about it. Yeah.
0: Well, we I think you and I um, are doing important work, right? We're we're hopefully bringing some awareness to some of those things. Um, I know I sat silent for way too long. So I applaud that you didn't, that you, you've been more of an advocate. I, I think I will. As, as a middle-aged white guy sitting here, or a young white guy, I will say that. Um, it gives me a lot of hope, though. I'm so excited that, that you're on this journey, this DEI journey. And I'm super excited that you're doing that with a law firm uh, and that a lot of eyes are on you. So
1: Well, thanks. And I will say, you know, I'm using that one example. I, I'm sure, as we talked about yesterday, I'm sure there are instances where I have not stood up. Yeah and me too um, me too for sure but but hopefully you know that's what we we look at that now as what it was about the negative effects of it rather than what we might have seen as a short-term positive effects of oh I get to still be in this meeting
0: yeah yeah well, say. well and to your point though I do think we have to speak up but I also think there's this piece that you have to be relatable before mm-hmm. you're fanatical, and I think what happens is you either either have people that are super silent or you have people that are super fanatical, and that creates a reaction. And what we've got to continue to do is try to create a safe space to say, hey, you know what, that wasn't okay, mm-hmm. but yet it doesn't mm-hmm. create a chasm in the relationship. Right. It doesn't create an explosion. It doesn't create a separation of you know friends, mm-hmm. right, that it's just like, Oh, hey, wait a minute! I'm I'm gonna throw a flag on the field, or that's not okay, or hey, that's not even true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I hope that people are getting better mm-hmm. at being able to have those conversations without the heat, uh, if you will, that, that 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 they bring to it. So
1: well, I, I I think so, and and I I hope also that as as more of them occur, that people realize that people who are reacted to realize that it's not that we are on the hunt for this sort of thing. It's, it's more just, it's just like a course correction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to go looking <laughs> for sure. That's right. That's for right. Sure. That's right.
1: Yeah. So one other thing I will, I I do want to mention because we, we talked about it before and then I I put a little blurb in is um, the, one of the other things that you asked about what I'm excited about. Well, you know, my, my, uh, my practice area is cybersecurity. Okay. And, um, one of the things that we've been able to do at Gable is to, to really bring that out as an issue. And for me, what's interesting about it, it's very similar to the d space. And it's one of the reasons why uh, I think it's something for me that, that informs how I look at d and And it, in turn, informs how I look at my practice area, which is um, there's, there's, there's two, two things we look for. Um, One is we look for the same and the different. And what I mean by that is we look for for elements that are consistent in different areas that may be overlooked but are still important. So, for example, you know, we talked before about this notion of commonality and, and getting to that true authentic commonality with what's important. Well, a lot of my job is explaining to people who aren't in IT why cybersecurity is important and, more importantly, why they have a role to play in it. And I think in, as a whole, we, we, we look at cybersecurity, and I'm sorry I'm digressing into my no, nerd topic do here, <laughs> but we look at cybersecurity as an information technology issue, and we focus more on the technology rather than the information, mm. because while some of us in a company are responsible for technology. Everyone is responsible for information at some point. And so for me, one of the, one of the, the interesting things about my job and what I find rewarding is working with clients to see not where, where information is with respect to their, their IT department and what, what the IT department can do to make them safer, but what the receptionist can do what the HR department can do, mm. and f- by finding those common elements in there. And that's one of the, the uh, parts of my practice that has benefited from and benefits my d work is looking at these different areas, these d- different types of individuals, these different groups of individuals. And what is it that we're looking for that's the same? How do we make those commonalities apparent, Not not just... Not just to the to the individuals that we're talking about, but but other people, so that we can show here's what this group has in common with this group and mm-hmm. that's really what you want. Yes, you're different here, but those are that's around the edges. That's not really important for what we're talking about here. And then on the other side of it, we, we look for uh, we call it the we look for the different in the same. So what is it about these things that look similar that are different? And especially on the you know, for my practice, uh, for me, it's making sure that if you've got people that look like they have the same job, but one of them is doing something much differently that you, you are aware of that and you don't, uh, you don't, uh, take your information security for granted, uh, by assuming that one person is doing the same thing as the other. So you put a, you put a protective measure in place that, that doesn't, doesn't do what it's supposed to. Um, but on the other side, and I realize it's very boring to most people. So I, for, I hope your <laughs> listeners will forgive me for that point. But with respect to the DNI space, you know, one of the things that we found, and we saw this in your in the the luncheon that you did with us, is if people can see the different in themselves that they previously perceived as the same as everyone else, mm. then it makes them part of that DNI discussion, and it makes them it helps them to be engaged in the efforts that our firm and that other companies are putting forth
0: nice well that's a nice ending to to our interview I love that I, and I'm going to think more about what you said and i also know we didn't get to any of the questions that are on here. <laughs> but i'm not surprised at all um but i think we'll do it again you know you and i have had a few obviously mm-hmm. they're going to know from this a few conversations leading up um so i'm just going to say thank you oh thank, thank you, you for all that you're doing and uh we'll do it again soon all right well all right. i certainly
1: appreciate the time
0: you're welcome thank you